Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I'm going to be traveling next week in Kentucky, in Tennessee. Would love to see you. Go to worldviewconversation.com if you want to see me on the trip. That means that I had to schedule some podcasts ahead of time for that because I'm not going to be around to record them. So um, I have a number that are dropping, but not as many as I'd like. And there's a little gap today, uh, the weekend and then Monday. I don't have anything. And so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll make a quick one. I'm about to step out and do some errands. And I don't have a full file. My wife calls them files when I have a very organized uh, pile of information that makes something understandable. I don't have that. But I do have some questions and I do have a problem that needs to be solved. And so maybe you can help me with this. Uh, I'm going to give you some questions, some ideas, and maybe you can help me uh, solve this. So um, before we get to it, I want to just mention Gold River Tea, goldriverco.com. If you go there, you can get some of the best tea I've ever had. Type in the uh, promo code CONVERSATIONS and you can get 10% off. Great tea, pro-America, pro-Western civilization, more importantly, pro-Christian. And they're against cancel culture. And it's an American company. It's phenomenal tea. Go check it out. Uh, Would love for you to enjoy what I'm enjoying during this winter season. And when it's winter, you need tea. If you're a coffee drinker, just take the plunge. Start drinking some tea. So... That being said, let's get into the uh, information that I I do want to relate to you and the questions I have. This is kind of uh, like a minefield, uh, and I'm going to explain why in a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about the definition of the term race, the concept of race as well. And I want to um, start this off by identifying what I think is a problem. The problem is the way that conservatives and also conservative evangelicals, so those on the political conservative side, but but those on the theologically conservative side who are against critical race theory, the problem is how they are approaching this in my mind. I knew there was a problem a few years ago. I've always sensed that, I think, but it's been more in the last year. I've I've really just, it, it, it's come into a clearer focus for me. Let's start with critical race theory and what it teaches. One of the elements of critical race theory is it teaches that, or those who are critical race theorists teach, that race is a social construct, okay? Not just that, they teach that race is a social construct that represents power relationships. Let me repeat that. Race is a social construct that represents power relationships. Now, on the the front end, when we first hear that, we may not think that that's that big of a deal, but actually it is kind of a big deal. And it's one of the hallmarks of Marxism. The definitions present the solutions. If you buy into the definitions, you generally buy into the solutions. Let me repeat that again. If you buy into the definitions, you buy into the solutions. So the definition, race is simply a social construct and it uh, denotes power relationships. If there's a problem, like a disparity in the criminal justice system or poverty or something of that nature, what do you do? Well, you have to do something to rectify the situation, to alleviate the disparity politically. And you can do it politically. You know why? Because race is just a social construct. That's all it is. It's it's an abstract thing that exists in the mind, not in reality. So it's important for critical race theorists to say you shouldn't view the world through a colorblind lens. You've got to view everything through the lens of race. And, and even many supposed conservatives are doing that. They're getting offended all, all over so many things because they're hypersensitive to race and they're seeing that in everything. Uh, they bought into the ideology to some extent. 
And so once you start seeing the world that way, the disparities start to present themselves. And when the disparities start to present themselves, then you can start the reallocation process, redistributing money or privilege or status or whatever, power of some kind. So you buy into race as a social construct, you buy into race as a social construct that denotes power relationships. And then once there's a problem, a disparity that exists between races, then the only way to rectify it is to in walks intersectionality and do some kind of redistribution. And it's possible to do that because of the fact that race is there. There's no element of it. At, there's no part of it that's rooted in objective reality. It's simply something that's in the mind. Okay. So here's the situation. You have people groups that have suffered uh, for centuries uh, and they've suffered because of the, the story you'll often hear because of rich white elitists who were colonizing. They're the colonizers who came into various areas and they thought to themselves, you know how we can control these people by creating a barrier between us and them. And also between those who are under us, the, the whites who are lower class, we can create a barrier between lower class whites and let's say um, black people. And we cr can create a barrier between black people and lower class whites and natives of wherever they were co you know, colonizing. And if we do this, then we can't, they won't all realize where the common enemy and come after us. They will fight each other and they'll bicker and we can make them, we can control them and we can justify our oppression based on the fact that they are of a different race. Uh, in, in, you know, those, those who are um, uh, the natives. So that's the uh, story that you'll hear from critical race theorists. And they'll say the race was a concept developed during the age of colonization, the 1500s, 1600s, starts getting used. And it's always represented a power relationship of some kind. Okay. So how do you reverse course? How do you, now that we're in 2022 and you're looking around, you're seeing people who have people groups who have been oppressed arbitrarily by some imaginary, um, uh, some imaginary category that someone made up years ago, they've been, their families have been abused for centuries. How do you rectify that? You got to do something. This is where the social justice comes in. You, you have to reallocate something to them to, to make it fair because you've been the beneficiary of not having the, uh, th that kind of oppression against you. You have white privilege, even if you're in poverty in the Appalachian mountains without running water, you're still in poverty some, or you're still, uh, you have white privilege somehow. Uh, and, and you need, you owe them something, uh, if you want to make things fair, that's, that's the clear picture of what's going on and look where it all starts. It all starts with the definitions. Race is a social construct representing power relationships. And then all you need is a concept of fairness and justice that's from social justice that comes in and boom, you have it. It's not actually all that complex. You just got to buy in the definitions. Conservatives have bought into, at least half bought into some of these definitions. I'm not going to name organizations. I know I'll get in trouble, but the vast majority of books and organizations on the political conservative and the theological conservative right who are trying to deal with critical race theory readily buy into the idea that race is simply a social construct. They just do. And I've, you know, in my book, I, I Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict, chapter six, I start to kind of skim the surface of this, but I, I don't full on go into this. And part of it is I'm still asking some questions about this myself. Uh, I I was raised um, in at, at a time when 
evolution, Dar Darwinian evolution was considered to be a big threat to evangelicals, much bigger than any critical race stuff, even though that stuff was around. And it's very typical of evangelicals to fight battles from years ago that are, they're still important. Don't get me wrong. That is still an important battle, Darwinian evolution. But it's, they, we, we get sometimes stuck on ba older battles and, and we, we're not astute and ready for the new ones that are coming down the pike. I think critical race theory is still taking uh, people in the church by surprise. They don't know what to do with it. And, and this is an evidence of that, the fact that we just buy into their definition of race or at least half buy into it. Uh, and I mean, I don't mean me, but many can, people of my persuasion on a number of other things. So all that to say, uh, I grew up at this time when Darwinian evolution was, was the boogeyman. Uh, and it wasn't a fake boogeyman. It was a real boogeyman. It was, it, it, it was ripping people's faith apart when they would go to college. And the way of dealing with that was saying we are all one race and look at how Darwinian evolution has been used to oppress peoples. Look at Nazi Germany, look at eugenics, look at abortion. It's horrible stuff. And it is. And if we just understood that we're all one race and that there aren't, there are no races. We're just a part of the human race. Then that's the biblical understanding. Well, I've come to realize, and I, I really through just reading classic literature that this isn't exactly accurate. Um, the con the concept is right that we're all part of the human race. That is true. It's it's true that we all descend from Adam. It's true that we're all of equal worth, the Imago Dei. It's true that Dar Darwinism uh, rejected that. That's all true. But there's more information that I think we need in order to understand and combat the current threat from critical race theory because it's much different. Critical race theory agrees that. There, there is no race rooted in biology. There is no genetic determinism. Uh, people haven't evolved differently from different places, uh, and that's irrelevant even if they did. That's, critical race theory would agree on all that. So when we respond to critical race theory as if we're responding to Darwinian evolution, it's not making a dent. Not only that, it's actually creating confusion. Not only that, it also makes us open and susceptible to buying into the solutions critical race theory offers, in my opinion. So... I started reading classic literature and I started seeing things. I started seeing race being referred to in interesting ways. The race of women, uh, race, you know, th to talk about gender or something. Um, in fact, I have pulled up here, see if I can pull it up, a, an etymology of the term race. And in that etymology, you'll see um, that it, it, it says it was developed in the 1560s and uh, it could talk about breed, lineage, family. Um, it could talk about, let's see, wines, 1520s, um, common occupations. You're from the race of, I don't know, painters, generations. Um, but it, it came to mean tribe, nation, or people regarded as a common stock. To an eth ethnical stock, one of the great divisions of mankind having in common certain physical peculiarities by 1774. So it means people group. And by 1774, it, that's what it meant. Uh, there's different kinds of men, different kinds of peoples. This is long before Darwinism, okay? And they had certain physical peculiarities. So there is a genetic element, but it's not strictly genetic. And it's, it's a word that could be attributed uh, from the 1500s to, to many other things. And in fact, into the 19th century, I, I saw it referred to like women, the race of women, gender, or... Uh, 
if you read Lord of the Rings, you know, even in the, into the 19th or the 20th century, the, the race of elves, the race of dwarves, all the, you know, fanciful things. Uh, it, it's there's there's a certain looseness to it. But in general, it, it refers to a people group. So genetics, religion, habits, traditions, food, perhaps all of that stuff, language factors into this. OK. Now. The interesting thing, another interesting thing, is over time, look at this chart from Google Books Ngram Viewer from 1800 to um, today. The term race uh, has, has been there way before Darwin, but when Origin of Species came out, and Origin of Species, of course, um, is all about the different human races and how they developed biologically. It's genetic determinism. It, it's, it's terrible stuff. But when it came out, and before that, when you had phrenologists talking about the different sizes of brain skulls and things like that, and how that showed intelligence in their minds, you have a spike in the term's usage. It goes down. Ironically, it's going down even during the time of Nazi Germany and stuff. It starts to come up again during the late 80s. You start seeing it rise again throughout the 90s and into the 2000s especially. Uh, when critical race theory is very popular. So you have Darwinism, you have critical race theory, the term race is used a whole lot. And and they use the term much differently. Now, if you go, let's see if I can, if you go and, and search, uh, I put between 1600 and 1899, most of these examples are from the 1800s, the term race, you'll come up with, uh, you know, the Aryan race, um, here, the black man, um, you mostly... Groups of people, again, people groups. Um, let's see here. Some of this is like horse racing and stuff, so that's obviously a different usage. Um, the white race, the human race, so it can be used in general, just to refer to humans in general. It's always been used that way, too. Um, so so you have th this, this term being used to designate different people. Uh, there was a, a pastor... Uh, Thomas Smith, I believe was his name, that writes about how we're all one race, we're all one human race, and he's writing against the phrenologists in Philadelphia. And this is a story that often goes untold. A lot of, um, of Southern preachers like James Henley Thornwell, Thomas Smith, were writing against the uh, evolutionists, the proto-evolutionists, really, of their time. And they were trying to make the point that we are there there are no distinctions wherein one group is less human than another group we're, and you hear this a little bit well i'll get into that they were saying we're all of equal worth even as slavery is going on and stuff those are they're human okay there was there wasn't a thought among christians that people of different ethnicities or races or whatever they're, that they're not human or they're less human or they're you know they have a less they're um their worth is somehow less. So the, those would, be, would have been kind of the Ken Hams, I guess, of the 19th century in a way, trying to make that point. But it was evolutionists who came along and injected their own meaning into a term that already exists and wanted to make it all about genetic. And that ideology pervaded. And now you have critical race theorists coming along and taking the term and they want to inject their definition. It's all just social construct, power relationships. And you're not allowed to deviate from it. And if you do deviate, if you color outside the lines at all, you're a racist. What you hear, though, from people today is, well, I don't believe, you know, 
in race, in the church at least. I, I don't believe in, in race because we're all made in the image of God or something. What, what are they responding to when they say that? They're responding to evolution, responding to Darwinism. But this, it's a different situation now. The way the term is being used is, and the, the definition that it's been given by critical race theorists is not the same as the definition that Darwinists were trying to give it. And so we're not actually responding to the objection that is being raised. And so it's on that point that I want to read for you an article. Let's see if, uh, well, I'm gonna read it for you. I'm not sure if it's gonna be, if, if it'll come up here. Um, it's, a, it's an article from a pastor. Uh, this is from Larry Ball, Race is Real and Not a Social Construct. I don't know who Larry Ball is. I just know that he raises some points that I think are worth grappling with. He says, Christians do not need to adopt the neo-Marxist theory of race as a social construct in order to do battle against critical race theory of neo-Marxism. It's better to recognize the truth that distinct races do exist in objective reality and that good and bad attributes become characteristics of races as a result of religion that dominates them. That includes both black and white. Spot on. Yeah, religion is pretty fundamental. It does, uh, it, it really does affect people groups. After reading a number of books on critical race theory by evangelical and reformed authors, I have become convinced that sometimes good men get it wrong. Some of the writers I respect most are saying that the existence of distinct human races is not real. It's just a social construct. What is a social construct, though? It is a convention adopted by society that has no basis in objective reality. For example, Peter Pan is a social construct. We all know who he is, but he's not real. He exists in, in our minds for entertainment. A dollar bill is a social construct. It only has a value because society is given a value. The reality is it's only paper and ink. Social constructs are usually identified with neo-Marxist thinking. For example, neo-Marxists say that binary sexual identification is not real. The concept of sex that separates humans into male and female is a social construct. They push the concept that in reality, there are a multitude of sexes. As another example, the traditional family is a social construct. The idea of male and female parent with children is a convention created by society to oppress other legitimate families, like those who have two male parents. I'm hearing from my respected brethren that race is not a biblical term, and therefore the concept of race does not exist. At the same time, these same men will say that there is only one race, and that is the human race. The human race includes all of us because we all come from the same atom. There is no difference between us other than the degree of melanin in the skin. It seems rather contradictory to me to assert that the concept of race is not real, but then to turn around and use the term race to describe all of the descendants of Adam, there are no races, but yet there is one race. It is true that the Bible does not use the word race in any English translation. More common terms are nation, tribe, clan, and peoples. However, the Bible does not use the term banana either, but that does not mean it is wrong to use the word banana. Historically, mankind has been divided into races. Three prominent races are whites, blacks, and Asians. They, have different, uh, they are different in more than pigmentation of skin. They've been associated not only with the color of the skin, but with the texture of the hair, shape of the eyes, and even in physical, uh, physical speed and agility. And if you watch the NCAA basketball, you will see that I, what I mean. I don't believe that speaking this way is racist. It may be more racist to avoid reality and say all athletes are the same in ability, whether white or black. We need to learn to be more honest. Race has been associated with the word nations or peoples who have a common geographical boundary, a common language, and a common religion. This is certainly not necessarily true of our experience here in the United States, but our nation is a rather new experiment in societies, and it appears to be disintegrating rather quickly. That's a really good point. The United States was once a Christian nation, and this common religion provided a basis for the unity of the various races among us. 
we have changed religions, and therefore we no longer have any basis for peace. A nation without a common religion will not endure, just as a nation without a geographic border or a common language will not long endure. Now, although we all descend from Adam and all are sinners needing a savior, we do still exist as distinct races who probably have more in common than not. Jeremiah identified the Ethiopian as a man who could not change the color of his skin. Just as important as noting the color of his skin, the prophet noted that the man was an Ethiopian who probably lived south of Egypt and who could be identified with a nation that had geographical boundaries, a separate language, and a separate religion. In the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch became a Christian, with, which certainly teaches us that the gospel came as a blessing for all nations and races. The book of Revelation speaks of the New Jerusalem as a dwelling place for the nations and kings of the earth. Nations will not disappear, even in the very presence of God himself. All the distinct nations, along with their kings, shall be one in Christ. God allowed various distinctions to develop among the descendants of Adam. God loves diversity in colors, flowers, fruits, and the two sexes, and even races. However, absent from most discussions today about race is the fact that nations, uh, and often the distinct races that define them, will always adopt a particular religion. This religion will have the major impact on the character of that nation. For example, while our white American forefathers were writing the very complicated United States Constitution, blacks in Africa who were sold as slaves by blacks to white Europeans and Americans could not read or write. Why? The grace of God? Christianity conquered the continent of Europe and not Africa. Christians do not need to adopt the neo-Marxist theory of race as a social construct in order to do battle against CRT of neo-Marxism. It is better to recognize the truth that distinct races do exist in objective reality and that good and bad attributes become characteristic of races as a result of the religion that dominates them. This includes both black and white. Most of the average guys that I know in the pew think that this neo-Marxist social construct invention is nonsensical. There is nothing to be gained by denying the obvious. Okay, so... Larry Ball is a minister at the Presbyterian Church. He lives in Tennessee. So I think there's a lot of good points. And it, it opens the door to a conversation I think does need to happen because there, there's something wrong, something just fundamentally wrong with the just going with this race is just a social construct thing. It's um, why does the left push that? They, the left is the one that came up with this in the first place. This isn't something from the right. This is something from the social justice religion. Why do they want to push that? And in the same breath, they're pushing for other stuff is also a social construct. Gender is just a social construct or, or sex. Why? Why? What's their purpose? And, and I explained to you, I think, one reason why that's their purpose. But I think behind that is something else. They want to be the creators. And if, if race is something that God organically kind of created um, as a development over time that naturally occurred— uh, dividing people up at the Tower of Babel, different people living in different areas, forming different habits, intermarrying, um, a mother and a father coming together and creating children and all the sacrifices, and then they create children and all that, those sacrifices and moving on and, and the habits and traditions that they develop. And that's, that's a race. That's something distinct. That's something tangible. We can see it. If, if you just deny that and say, well, that's just a social construct, then it's it's laughable. It doesn't comport with reality. There there is something to that, and I think millennials even as as they, you know, watch travel channel stuff and they are interested in different foods and the way different people are peculiar. There is an insecurity that I see. There's there's an identity formation uh, problem. People don't know who they are, and if everything's just a social construct and you can be whatever you want, you get rid of obligations and duties, and you're just 
you're, you're you don't you, you'll never know. People need to, to understand who they are, who they were created to be, uh, and and who and and where they've been born, the place that God's put them through His providence, and and that means something. It means something that I'm a Harris. It means something that um, my family uh, and. I'm a mutt to some extent. I have uh, Scottish and Irish and English and German, some Scandinavian. You know, I I have all of that, but that that means something. I think it means something to a lot of people. They're going on Ancestry.com to figure out what their story is genetically going back, right? Who, Where did the people live who made the sacrifices that led to me being around today? Um, people are hurting for that. Now, it means something. It's real. There is something that Christians who say race is just a social construct often also say in the same breath, and we are one in Christ. So we come together, and all those genetic distinctions and cultural distinctions and whatever other distinctions, they all go away. Now, here's the thing. There's a temporal world. You don't stop being a father when you go to church, right? You don't stop being a husband. You don't stop being a member of the gun club. You don't stop being a family member, you don't give up those things. Those are still part of your identity as a person, but you gain a new identity that also is is important, and in fact, more important than those identities, and that's you're a Christian. You're part of the family of God, but that's an eternal reality. You, Paul was still very much concerned for his people. He had an allegiance to his people. He wished he could give himself up for the sake of his countrymen. Is that bigoted? He didn't say that about any other group, right? And, and this is after he became a Christian. So there's, there's a sense in which Jesus says you should hate father and mother in comparison to your love for me. That's, that's my interpretation of what he says. And, and that's very true, but you should still have a love for your people. And yes, different people form different groups organically over time. The Samaritans, right? Formed, they formed their own distinct group in their own distinct area through intermarrying, but that takes generations. Uh, and, and so I think we're in a time right now where we just say race doesn't matter at all. Uh, and, and, and I'll back up us because, because of the different definitions I'm, I'm operating based on the definition from like the 1600s. So it's, it's a people group. Pe- being a part of the people group doesn't matter. Uh, n- nothing really seems to matter. There's no like identity that, that you're able to have. And it's not bigoted because it, you know, there's a boundary. Every time you, you define something, you're creating a boundary. You're saying this and not this. When you go to the old Testament and you look at the nation of Israel, the stinks distinct things that they that represented them that God even laid down uh, as far as they weren't supposed to intermarry with other tribes that had false gods because they wanted to make sure that um, the nation of Israel would keep worshiping the true God don't mix fabrics you know peculiar things like that that were specific to them even the alien and the sojourner right the reason that you could identify an alien as sojourner was because there was a distinction between them and national Israelites Russell Moore didn't like that he brings up the alien sojourner a lot, but there's there's actually the reason, even saying that they're an alien or a sojourner means you're making a distinction, it means they're not Israeli. And um, and so there is there is something important. There is something important to God about nations and and and, and races, you know, would in the, in the broad conception of what a race is, it would go right along with this. Every tribe, tongue, and nation in Revelation. They're not, it's not just a meaningless definitions, they're all there specifically representing those identities. So I I just have a hard time with giving that up. If you're going to say 
while race is uh, just a social construct, and you're intending to answer Darwinian evolution, you got to be specific about it. You got to define it. And we need really clear definitions now more than ever. Say, I don't believe that our human worth is conferred to us through our biology. I don't believe in genetic determinism. I believe that we are all made in the image of God and we are all part of the human race. And understanding that God has also divided people groups up and people uh, and families who have gone out and uh, over a course of time have lived in certain areas and developed certain distinctions and God cares about those distinctions too. In fact, the gospel is supposed to bless all the nations. Those are real distinctions. Uh, in the New Testament, the word ethnos is used constantly to refer to the, uh, the nations or the Gentiles generally. Those are the two terms generally ethnos is applied to. And yes, we do have another identity. We do have a greater identity. And the distinctions that might, the, the wall of separation that may have been there, the barrier between people groups because of past hurts or whatever, that goes away. You have unity in Christ, but that doesn't mean that you're now no longer Scottish or you're no longer Ethiopian or something like that. You're still that. So, um, so, so we, we, we can't, you know, that's immunitizing the eschaton at, at, at best. We, we can't do that. We shouldn't do that. Um, for my own personal life, I've been, I've worshiped the Lord in Turkey. I've loved it. I've been with believers from, I mean, there's a bond you have. You don't even know them. And there's a bond you have that's greater than whatever. I mean, there, I don't have any bond with white guys. I don't walk into a place. Oh, they're white. Hey, you know, I don't, there's nothing like that. But, um, but you know what? It, it's possible. Oh, let me give you a story. When I was in Turkey, I remember uh, there was a, a woman who walked up to me, and she had a little girl, and she says, "Where are you from?" I said, "From from the United States." And she was from Great Britain, and she's like, "Oh, someone else just like me." Okay, I remember this. I'm like, just like, and, and I remember I was so confused at first. I'm like, "You're nothing like me. We defeated you in the Revolutionary War." I mean, no, I didn't say that, but I was like. You're from Britain. But you know what? We spoke the same language. We looked similar to each other. We probably have some common ancestors somewhere along the line. Uh, we, we have probably similar habits and traditions compared to Turkish people. And there was something special about that to her. There was something, and it, was, it wasn't bigoted, okay? Anyone who would call that bigoted is a bigot themselves, all right? And it's disgusting that they would have a problem with that. Uh, we don't have a problem when people in the United States form like a Chinese church because they want to be with the people that speak Chinese. That's, it's natural for people to filter into groups according to their traditions, language, all those things. And so I remember that. I remember worshiping with people from all over the world, but they were Christians. There was Turkish. There was all kinds of people in there. And I, there was a bond I had with them that was greater than whatever bond that woman thought she had with me. And that's so true. Um, when I was in Virginia, I attended a historically black church. I would gladly su support and submit myself to the pastor in that church and hug. And I did hug, you know, I did hug. And I prayed with my brothers and sisters in that church who didn't look like me. But they were my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I loved them dearly. And it's, it's I'm going to just per on a personal note, I, I understand there's haters out there. I understand people want to call me racist and stuff and, you know, because they, they don't like what I'm doing. And one of the things that I find difficult about that is because I actually do love, I, 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 I love my brothers and sisters. 
And I have many brothers and sisters who are from other races. And I, I love them. I love them for who they are. And it, to disrupt that unity, to try to disrupt it is disgusting. And I think that's a sense I have that is shared by a lot on the Christian right who want to oppose critical race theory. And they think that by what I just shared, the way that they can articulate it is by saying races, race doesn't even matter. And I just think that's the wrong way to go. It does matter. In fact, the reason it matters, um, or the when, when, I, when I am talking to someone who has a different heritage than I do, I can value them and their story and their heritage and their family more because I also, because I value mine first, because I was taught to, my family taught me to love my family, that you're a Harris, you know, you look in the mirror, that's who you are. Because I was taught that, I can love others because I know that they are part of something just like what I'm part of. And it's so important to them. To get rid of the distinction, it gets rid of how special it is. It's not special anymore. If there's just race is just a social construct and all the all those things that accompany it, just they don't matter. We don't even believe that. Look, millennials watch travel blogs and they like experiencing different food and all of that. They they know that race is not just a social construct, but they're they engage in this stupid fantasy. Uh, I'd like to be able to to point to someone and be like, that's my brother in Christ over there. And, you know, this is my Chinese brother in Christ. This is my, I don't know, South African brother in Christ, French brother in Christ, whatever it is. And, oh man, this guy, he knows all about, usually it's food first. You know, he knows all about a particular dish unique to his people, or he can tell you all about this or that. And that's what makes life interesting. Okay. It's what confers identity. And right now we, we need to know who we are. We need to know who God made us to be. And it doesn't mean you hate other people if you love your own culture. So I've used some different words. I've used culture, I've used race, I've used ethnicity, I've used people. Um, there's, there's little differences and nuances and there's a competition for how to define a lot of these words. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking broadly about people groups. I'm speaking, I'm trying to take an understanding from the Bible and from history and I'm trying to integrate it. And that's what I wanna just see other people doing who are in this. I don't have a fully formed opinion on all of, all of this. That's why I, I would hope that maybe you have some ideas you can share with me about this. But I know we need to be doing better. We need to be doing better on this topic. Uh, sh just showing the beauty of, of different uh, people groups. There's a beauty that comes with that and, and affirming that beauty. And I don't know, just when you say race is just a social construct, it's so bland and boring. And, and then it just all becomes about power and it's all po politics. And that's not who we are. Bobby Lopez, I'm going to close with this. Bobby Lopez told me something that really rang true with me about critical race theory. He said he was sick of academia starting to introduce theory into everything, critical race theory being one of them, and getting rid of humanities. We're losing our humanity, guys and girls. We're losing our humanity. We're becoming numbers. We're becoming cogs in a machine. Everything's abstract. Everything's just something you can manipulate through a central planner. And we're losing the actual experiences that in the legends and the, the, just the beautiful art and all of that, the literature that, that is part of a tradition that usually accompanies a certain kind of uh, people group. We're losing all that and it's being replaced with dumb theories. And 
if we want a crusade against racism in the definition that used to be around of hating others <laughs> because of their color of their skin or something, then you should need to be about humanities, about uh, about letting others share their their experiences. And the experiences aren't just well, we just need to all share our experiences of oppression and you know you who don't have those experiences should feel guilted and shamed. That's not what I'm talking about. Those are the only experiences that are allowed to be shared. And sometimes they're made up. <laughs> no, uh, I'm talking about what God has has done in in certain in, in different people groups. Um, naturally through his providence or through the, the gospel going forward in a people group, uh, history is his story and it's all beautiful. And, and that's kind of, that's how I've always thought of, of history and I've always thought of this whole subject. And so it's offensive to me when people say race is a social construct and they mean by it that it's just meaningless and there's, there's, doesn't matter. Culture doesn't matter. No, no, nothing matters really. The only thing that matters is power. That's called ideology, and we need to stop it. So hope this was helpful for you in thinking through some of this stuff. Again, I don't have fully fledged thoughts on all of this, and I'm open to challenge. Uh, I really am on some of this, but I wanted to get the conversation started at least in people's minds. God bless. More coming later next week. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.